The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly made possible by Red Energy. They're powered by Snowy Hydro and a leader in renewable energy. Call their Melbourne-based team today on 131 806 for real Aussie energy. Own it. Put your hand up. This was Eddie's opportunity to say sorry, but maybe they're worried about being sued. Maybe that's it. It's a Collingwood problem, and it always starts at the top. The culture of a club or a business or a government, as we've seen with Donald Trump, it starts at the top. Be careful about who you idolise and who your heroes are, because they do tend to let you down. (laughs) And it doesn't mean that he's not a brilliant coach, but I do feel personally a bit let down. The only good thing, Caro, the only exciting thing about a colonoscopy is one, the anaesthetic, good night's sleep. And two, the weight loss. (laughs) (laughs) No! No, no, the sandwich points. Oh, at the end. They give you afterwards when you're all snugged up. (laughs) Don't shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome back, everyone, and Happy New Year. This is episode 158 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Corrie Perkin, welcome back. Yay, a new year. (laughs) It is a new year. I think February 1, and we're not doing this on February 1, but we're sort of in the start of February, is always really the new year to me, not January 1. We've got a lot to talk about today, Corrie. Um, Thank you to everyone who tuned in to our bonus eps over the summer. Wonderful to see you again, Miss Jane. Looking forward to hearing intermittently over the coming months about your new... Um, I was going to say love nest, but it is a love nest because Lifestyle. it's a house full of love. Um, but look, the... look at what Miss Jane has brought us today. Just smell the air. I know one I... ginger plant it... amongst the bouquet, yes. and it's just the it's the prime mover. It is the star of the bouquet, Jane. A I don't true know where summer you posy. It it. Geraniums, <laughs> aggies, ginger plants. Your it... neighbourhood is full of treasures. <laughs> now um, we should thank Corrie. Um, uh, guests over the summer, Jocks are wrong, Mike Clayton, Jeff Slattery, Graham Blundell, Anna from the Op Shop, my mother Julia. You even chimed in because we did have a change of president over January and we had a, a massive scandal really coming out of Washington, which we'll talk about in a moment. We've had a couple of football scandals. We'll get on to them. We've got an old friend back as a sponsor. We're going to talk about them and Corrie We've got GLTs, we've got questions, we've got crushes. I am so grumpy. There's plenty to talk about. Well, that should keep us going for a year or so at least. I've read eight books and I've been to the movies four times, but you've, you've cut yeah. me down today. We're going to drip, um, drip feed drip everyone feed, yeah. with well, some look, of our tips. Otherwise, poor potties would be here till dinner time. You know, it'd be nine o'clock at night and we're still rabbiting on. Although I did yet again, Caro, you've probably heard this story too from friends. I had a friend who over summer said that she had put, she loves going to sleep with us because she finds our dulcet tones. I don't know why, but anyway, maybe it's your sexy deep voice, Caro, but she said that she had stuck her ears in and she thought that she'd put her timer on 15 minutes and once again woke up at 4am and we're chatting about the grand final. She had listened to something like 11 episodes in her sleep. (laughs) Gee, what a lot has changed for Richmond since the grand final, but more more about that in a moment. We're thrilled to have Red Energy coming on board to support us and our show for 2021. That's 100% Australian electricity and gas. Thanks also to Click for Vic. Great to see so many people embracing Victorian businesses over the summer. We've got a great interview coming up in the coming weeks, Corrie, with Heather Hewitt. 
the host of Backroads, and I'm dying to talk to her. Obviously, she travels around Australia, but particularly I want to ask her about some Victorian destinations. And next week, Tony from Prince Weinstall will be back for the cocktail cabinet. We'll be talking about our drink of the summer. I'm going to give you my cocktail of the summer today, and you'll probably give me yours as well. Oh, there were so many. So many drunk, <laughs> so many made. But, Caro, another uh, correspondence from people. This is my market research or my attempt to be a market researcher. People said how much they enjoy this segment with Tony, which suggests, A, Tony is charismatic and terrific on the airwaves, which we know. B, we're all alcoholics <laughs> and we love a tip. <laughs> and C, Prince Wine Store. So I have, once again, I have placed an order a couple of days ago. Pete, husband Pete is driving around to pick it up from South Melbourne. It's so easy, everyone. Can I just say Prince Wine Store and they correspond with you. Do you want this one or this vintage or that? It's terrific service. No, they, they, and, and they're great friends of ours. So looking forward to seeing Tony next week. Corrie, to cut to the chase, um, the big talking point as we sit here today is the Collingwood Football Club and their appalling handling of the leaked report into what has been really revealed as systemic racism over decades at the Collingwood Football Club. Another example of Eddie, unfortunately, making an issue so much worse it was a, a pretty black day anyway for the club and he made it so much blacker well, with Carol, his terrible what, handling of, of, of the media conference. I was going to say, what did you think of his performance on the, the media, in the media conference? I thought he looked uncomfortable. There were too many people on the podium. He became rattled. A little bit of that passive-aggressive Eddie came out. Yes, look, I, I don't with think... a couple of the journos. I don't think... Any of them were absolutely terrific. But Eddie talked over people a couple of times. No, he didn't perform well. But the big issue for me, having interviewed Heretia Lumumba several years ago, back in 2017, um, looking forward to a, a documentary that was being released on SBS about his life and about what happened to him at Collingwood. This- and can I just say you won an award, well-deserved award for this one. Thank you, Corrie. Um, it was – but the aftermath – it was wonderful to win um, the, the feature writing award, but it was not wonderful to listen to some of the stuff that came out of the mouths of people at Collingwood after my story appeared. He made some really serious allegations about the way he'd been treated at the club, and, and he talked about racism. He talk, Well, he talked about a lot of different things, from, the, from board members to executives to the footy department to people who had managed Heredia Lumumba, to former teammates, they discredited him so badly. There were comments made about, you know, his private life, about his lifestyle, about uh, it was just totally irrelevant to what he was saying had happened to him at the club. And there was just denial, denial, denial. And the man was totally discredited because of other reasons. And People just refused to accept what he said. So that was 2017. He'd already made the allegations some years before. He doubled down, really, at the start of last year with the allegations again. And he had people who supported him and other players spoke about what had happened to them as well. And again, there was denial. Again, there was a refusal to acknowledge what was going on. And I worked with Ed on Footy Classified. When they finally, finally, and, and, you know, there was this feeling, but he stood on stage at the best and fairest and thanked me for looking after his family. There, there was no sort of acceptance that it didn't matter about that. He also said this happened to him. So Heredia Lumumba, the player formerly known as Harry O'Brien, when he played in a Collingwood Premiership team, has really been vindicated 
And he spent years and years trying to be heard about this. And even last year, you know, when they first spoke about an inquiry, it was going to be internal. The frames of references just kept changing. And to me, this was a real fear of legal recriminations. And this this fear should still be very much there today. And I wonder if that dreadful press conference and, you know, really appalling spin. I mean, I thought, I'm waiting for Eddie to talk about the slums in 1890. Sure enough, they came up. The homeless, you know, the netball team, the community club. It was just such utter tripe and irrelevant. So I'm happy for Heredia Lumumba that he's finally been heard. He, he took so many attempts to get this to happen. And it finally has happened. And he's, you know, you, you heard him interviewed on Radio National and his response to what Collingwood said. I mean, it was... They just hit again, didn't they? They made it a world problem, a community problem, an AFL problem, not a Collingwood problem. Own it. Put your hand up. This was Eddie's opportunity to say sorry, but maybe they're worried about being sued. Maybe that's it. It's a Collingwood problem, and it always starts at the top, the culture of a club or a business or a government, as we've seen with Donald Trump. It starts at the top. Caro, the really interesting thing, or a couple of things I found interesting about Eddie is interview with Fran Kelly on Radio National this week, which people can download through the ABC app. He said that he had not contributed to this inquiry. Well, he, he, he refused had, to. Yeah, he, he had, he'd, to. Had, he'd had, he'd had enough. He didn't trust yeah, it. He didn't yeah. trust it and he'd had enough, but he did say he did feel vindicated. He made an interesting point about the way the media department in particular had managed him over the time that he had made complaints, and you've just obviously referred to that in in the response that the footy club gave you after your most excellent feature appeared, that there's this whole, uh, I would suggest almost subtle bullying, but certainly, as Heretia says, changing the narrative where he became the bad guy. So, and another thing also as he was talking that I feel very strongly about in all parts of life, not just if it's a, a a, a race, a, a, an issue of racism, but an issue of domestic abuse or sexual abuse or something like this. When somebody says, this has happened to me and this is how I feel, you cannot deny how somebody feels. You can't say, oh, you're overreacting or you, you know, you can't, you can't take that back. If somebody says, I felt desperately hurt, my family is hurt, I'm offended, um, uh, you know, this has had a significant effect on my emotional life. You can't say, oh, that's not relevant or that hasn't happened. You've got to acknowledge that you've caused pain and suffering. And saying sorry in a most sincere way is one way to take a step forward. I did not feel the sincerity in the room, not that I was there, but watching the press conference. Well, unfortunately, it opened with the proud day. And once he said that, you know, everything else just, everything disappeared. Wasn't that the showstopper of the statement? Well, unfortunately, that just wrecked everything else that came afterwards. I mean, particularly because the report had been leaked and they hadn't revealed it at all. And we now know it was completed in December, a day or two before Ed announced that he would be stepping down at the end of this year. I don't think we've heard the end of this, Corrie. I think the AFL are going to get involved now and there is some genuine discomfort and fear about well, um, about how this is going to be handled going forward. No one's saying that Collingwood's alone in this, but this is their problem. Well, it's, it's their moment, the way they it's their moment it. in the spotlight, exactly. And Jodie Sizer, who is an Indigenous member of the Collingwood board, was also on Radio National this week. And Fran Kelly pushed her three or four times, do, do you support uh, the president, do you, you know, does the, does the president have the full support? And she dodged that question. I felt not convincingly, but she continued to say, um, we are a team 
the team is going to get this job done. We're going to see this report through. And Eddie is part of that team. But not once did she say she ha- he has the full support of the seven members of the board. It was very interesting. I just... Um He's just a fa- such a fascinating character, isn't he? Caro, his big... best is so good oh. and his worst is so bad. Well, it's but you've got to believe it. You've got to. You can't just talk the talk. You know, you've got to walk the walk as well. You've got to really believe it. And I just wonder, you know, Eddie, do you? Oh, you'd just love to send him up to a topping community for a month and just really try and reprogram him somehow. But Caro, the big news story for you and I over the summer, of course, was the kind of imploding, as it were, of the Richmond hierarchy, in particular coach Damien Hardwick, and you wrote a column in The Age last week about his marital issue, the fact that his marriage is broken down. He's ha- he is having a relationship with a younger member of the and junior member of the Richmond Footy Club Relatively staff. junior compared to him. Yes, yeah. yeah. And what's the appropriateness of this? And I was interested to see that you came out quite hard against Damien Hardwick, when many might argue it's a personal matter. Why did this suddenly this personal story for you have public interest? Well, we spoke about Damien Hardwick's marriage breakdown at the end of last year, didn't we? And I spoke in the context of all coaches and all the issues that they've been having. Um, since we spoke about that, um, another uh, Simon Goodwin, it's been revealed that his marriage is also um, for the second time broken down. Um, there's obviously issues going on with AFL coaches and their private lives that are is coming to the fore more and more. But I, I was... I've got to say I was shocked when the story sort of came out that, you know, there'd been this relationship going on with Alexandra Crowe at the club. I was completely unaware that it had been going on. I don't think it's a private matter when Damien Hardwick has placed his personal life so squarely on the agenda over the last four years and spoken about Mrs Hardwick, which, as I said in the column, you know, other feminists, stronger feminists than me, never liked that. Didn't like the way it was always Mrs. Hardwick. She never had her own name. But I, I, but I remember a couple I of years it. ago. I, well, you made him your crush of the week after the grand final. Was it three years ago when he stood up and said, "I'd like to thank Mrs. Hardwick." Yeah, it was somewhere up in the stands. Yeah, and you thought that was a terrific acknowledgement. Well, no coach had ever done that. Yeah, from a from a coach saying, "I have." You know, there is a back backroom story here. There is support that no one knows about. Well, she became his moral compass. And even as recently as last June, when he showed really poor sportsmanship um, in criticising John Longmire's tactics after a game against Sydney, he apologised later and said, Mrs Hardwick told me I'd been a goose. Um, we now know that there was a relative... There might have been a bit of disin... Uh, he might have been behaving with some disingenuous tendencies. We don't know. No one at the club, very few people at the club, very few important people truly believe the timeline that Damien has given. Now, marriages break up, people have affairs. This is very commonplace. But the fact that he never reported the relationship, that Alexandra never... To, to, to To their HR... To anyone, to any executive, to the board, to human resources, and that he had to be, you know, basically the CEO Brendan Gale had to confront him or ask him about it because he'd heard the rumours. I don't think that is appropriate. I say again that the AFL, Gillan McLaughlin, forced the resignations of two senior executives because of similar misdemeanours. And it is a misdemeanour in the workplace, I think, if it's someone junior to you. It has to be dealt with. And especially if you haven't reported it. At the very least, it has mm. to be reported. I mean, if, it, if it's true love, you need to sort of go forward and, and actually discuss it with your CEO or bo- even board level. Like, you have to work out, so how do you know how, how are we going forward with this? But it's hard writing a column like that because, he, you know, and as we say often to it, you be careful about who you 
idolise and who your heroes are because they do tend to let you down. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that he's not a brilliant coach, but I do feel personally a bit let down. Well, Carol, and you I think said, supporters do as well. You said in the article, I found this line pretty interesting, it is difficult to predict how his authority will endure. So do you really think that – so this is about trust, I imagine, your, your – Trust and transparency. Absolutely right. I mean, the, the captain, Trent Cotchin, has not spoken and pointedly didn't speak when the players were first door stopped for the start of training. It was the vice captain, Jack Revolt, who said, oh, it'll be business as usual. You reckon Jack Revolt will say now, um, okay, I've done my media appearance for the year. Don't ask me to do that again. Trent Cotchin's wife made some very pointed comments on social media over summer, clearly backing Daniel Hardwick. Um, I think there, there must be issues with the captain, you would imagine. And I just wonder, Corey, if, if a player hides a misdemeanour, you find out he's done something behind the scenes that he shouldn't have done and covers it up for a few weeks, or if um, Trent Cotchin gets suspended for an on-field incident and has, you know, therefore let the team down in a way if he misses three or four weeks. I just wonder how the coach's authority will wash then. I mean, we can't say. He did amazingly last year and they won a flag against all odds. And, you know, he did not take the team on the journey properly, really, at the start of the COVID situation. But he turned it around. They won a flag. So maybe they can win another one. But I fear for the internals of Richmond. And I know that there are divisions at the club because of what's happened. So let's just see how it unfolds. Tigerland. I just wonder, you know, I also wonder. Not roaring with so much roar, Jane. People change with success sometimes. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Now, um, you spoke um, with Miss Jane um, back in January about Washington. And you spoke after there had been that those shocking scenes when um, a it, huge we'll amount of people. We'll call it an insurre- insurrection. Yeah, really egged on by Donald Trump. Basically, well, they didn't storm the White House. They stormed Capitol Hill, didn't they? It was it was terrifying, and it could have been so much worse. And there there were deaths, and you know that was bad enough. But you just think of how much worse it could have got. It's over now. Joe Biden is president. The impeachment continues. We're not sure where that's going to end up. But um, how do you feel sitting here today about the state of play in America? Well, I think the I, I think Caro the the people of of talked about the threat to democracy and there's no doubt that um, armed armed nationals <laughs> this wasn't this wasn't um, this wasn't like 9/11 these were Americans from middle America who had were so enraged and furious and following the lie it's been proven it's a lie in, in courts all around the land that um, that Donald Trump had the election results stolen from him that they felt the need to not only protest, but break down barricades, injure police, um, just cause such havoc and vandalise the Capitol building, which is just one of the most beautiful, um, I guess, monuments of democracy. So the whole thing was just so incredibly bizarre. But the the fallout for this, I think, is when people talk about democracy being damaged or endangered, there was a lot of talk in the days afterwards, particularly at the time of Joe Biden's inauguration two weeks later, that democracy had survived. Well, we have to think very carefully about this when we say this, because what we have in America at the moment is a Republican Party that is deeply divided. And as we know, for a democracy to thrive and survive, you need two really rigorous 
or three opposition parties where each one can keep the bastards honest. So whoever is in government, that you've got a very strong opposition. And that's how democracies work. And the Republicans at the moment are a total mess because there's a whole um, movement back toward Donald Trump, even though people like Mitch McConnell and different Republican leaders at the time of the insurrection and afterwards um, condemned the president's actions, they're now one by one aligning themselves with him again because he has this huge uh, voter block. He has this power base, as they call it. Republicans really need to stand up and say, who are we? What do we stand for? Are we the party of an individual or are we the party of all of the of Abraham Lincoln and of all the values and, and, and of all the um, commitment to democracy and good, solid working government that, and, that we have had for 200 years? And I think this is where the Republican Party is it's just at an absolute... Um, uh, it, I mean, it's just in such sort of a damaging and difficult territory. And I just wonder how, when Joe Biden talks about crossing the aisle and putting through all of this extraordinary legislation relating to important things like COVID, vaccination, um, the economy, jobs, all of this really important stuff, how's he going to work across the aisle, as he says, with a Republican Party that is so deeply divided? So it's just... I think the next couple of weeks, I, I know I keep saying this, and I was hoping that it come January, America would be behind us and it would be a good news story. But I think it's history unfolding as we see it. Did you see the brilliant Four Corners episode on Monday night? And again, I urge potties to download it if they haven't seen it. Sarah Ferguson, I'll talk a bit more about her later. Um, but th- we were taken onto Capitol Hill on the 6th of January, and we were there in the crowds. They pulled The ABC pulled together a whole lot of vision from um, from the uh, insurrectionists and, and what they were posting on social media to um, cameramen and women who were there taking photos, um, filming it. It is an extraordinary and terrible thing. And as I said to Miss Jane when we had a chat a couple of weeks ago, to watch it in real time, which I did because I was up at 3am, I wanted to see how the Electoral College vote was going and I wanted to see whether the states like Arizona, what, what arguments they were going to put up while this election was a fraud. To actually then see the cameras of CNN and Fox and Friends go outside the building and what became a, what was a relatively peaceful protest become something so violent. It was horrendous. And that's, of course, when I was texting you, watch the television. You were. But it was uh, remarkable. Oh, look, um, it, your faith in the political system is just so eroded when you watch things like that. And, and well, but law enforcement. Well, and and, and the secu- What happened to the security? There were so many questions. Well, there's so many questions. And, but the, I think I think the main thing. I mean, just super quick. The main problem they had is it's the District of Columbia, so it's not actually a yep. state. So yep. there's so the so nobody in Washington actually has the power to pull in the National Guard. They have to ask the federal government to do it. It's a bit like Canberra, right? So, so there is the mayor of Washington calling the the governor of Virginia, the state next door, saying, please, could you send somebody to help us? Please, could you send the National Guard over the border and police? We are desperate. Nobody in in the White House was saying, um, or, or the Pentagon, like, we need help and we need it now. It was all just so too late, too late. But anyway, look, there are a couple of, um, there are a couple of things I did want to mention, Caro, if people really do want to revisit what happened that day. Jane and I talked about... Um, the New York Times podcast, The Daily, which just did such a sensational um, 
such a sensational job of following that. Another one, the Axe Files, David Axelrod does an interview with a Republican congressman, Adam Klinzinger, who is of Illinois, who is not a Trump man, but it's such an interesting and fair assessment of where the Republican Party should go. And then Rachel Maddow's episode of January 26, where she talks about the Republicans in disarray. So, um, yeah, watch this space. Well, the, the, the next thing will be whether, and I see he's changed his legal team, Donald Trump. So. Oh, they walked away. <laughs> change, <laughs> enforced, enforced change. Um, because I guess if that if that goes ahead, then um, he can't stand again, and maybe then they'll start dropping off. Who knows? Who knows? Now, Watch Corey, this space. Thanks to Red Energy, one hundred percent Australian electricity and gas. You have a crush. I do. Your Caro. first crush. It better be a good one. Well, it is a good one. Uh, some of us are turning sixty this year, Caro. Yes, some Corrie. of us turn sixty. Some last of us are turning sixty. <laughs> some of us are turning sixty very soon, Corey. Some of us are turning sixty, Caro. And guess who's turning sixty with me this year? Four Corners. Oh, really? Back wow. in town on Monday night, as I said, Sarah Ferguson, who was appointed the China correspondent for the ABC at the end of two thousand and nineteen, she and her husband Tony Jones, he left um, uh, Q and A. Uh, uh, Q&A. Uh, and um, so they packed up everything, ready to go to Which China. Which you never get to see because you're always watching Footy Classified. Of course. <laughs> of course I am. Glued. Not, glued. Not. <laughs> glued. And, uh, and they were ready to move to China. And what do you know? Come February, come coronavirus, they're not doing that. Sarah Ferguson has been in the US for a month or so. She was there to cover the inauguration and the transition of power, but of course she was there on January 6th. So what she has done in her incredibly capable and competent journalistic way is to flip it and just go with the story. She, Her report on Monday night was one of the finest news reports I have seen probably since um, Peter, was it Peter Couchman, um, this is going way back, but I remember uh, remember Corazon Aquino and um, the Marcoses yes. in 1986. Yep. Yes. Riveting television a long yep. time ago. You and I are about ten, but yeah. Um, but she had on she had on uh, Enrique Tario, who's the chairman of the Proud Boys, which was such a good get. And she also had Mark Meadows, who until recently was Donald Trump's former chief of staff, who has absolutely condemned the the. Um, the president's lack or former president's lack of action on that day. So great get, Four Corners, you're my hero, you're my crush and um, So happy Sarah birthday. or Four Corners? Well, the whole, sort of. well, Four Corners for backing Sarah and Sarah for putting it all together and, and it won't be the, hopefully it won't be the last report that we hear from her this year. I hope she's not going into management or anything like that. Oh, look, that would be that would be an absolute waste. That was a crush of the week. Um, very good one, thanks to Red Energy again. Now, Corrie, BSF, we've got so many books to talk about, but we've both read, well, we've both read several books, but we both absolutely fell in love with Mr Wilder and Me. So you kick off. Okay, Mr Wilder and Me by Jonathan Coe. Jonathan Coe is an English writer. He'd probably be in his early 60s. Carol, I reckon his strength of his books, and I don't know whether you agree, is are his snappy conversations, his great dialogue. He's very good at presenting your characters and fleshing them out and backstories. But when they're in discussions, I find him so witty and so interesting. And this is the story of Callista, who is the daughter of a Greek-English marriage. And the story goes back and forth in time. We, we see her as a woman in her late 50s, current time, reflecting on her uh, teenagehood and early 20s in the 1970s, early 80s. 
And for a variety of interesting reasons, she ends up working as an interpreter and assistant on one of Billy Wilder, the famous Hollywood director, one of his movies, which was actually made called Fedora, which you can talk about in a second. But the character is put into the world of Billy Wilder and uh, it is... It's just so interesting. I can't remember. Is it, it what was the name? Of, is oh, Izzy Diamond. Is Diamond who was his writer? So yep. he wrote some like it hot, um, double indemnity. Yeah. he was his second collaborative partner. That's right. And um, I've been, as you know, watching a lot of Billy's back catalogue as a result of reading this book, and it's just been absolutely fascinating. Um, but. Um, I think that there were so many different elements to me. One of them is the the German connection, because Billy Wilder, of course, was a German immigrant who had a tragic Austrian past. German, yeah. Austrian German, I should say, had a tragic past and was forced to accept German backing to make this film because America had dropped off him and, and wouldn't back the film. And it's very much um, having now watched all the shorts of it and read a lot about it. I still haven't watched Fedora, but it starred William Holden, Marth Keller, um, Henry Fonda's in it. Amazing cast. Um, very. It's it's sort of a, a different version of Sunset Boulevard, probably not as good as Sunset Boulevard. But, and it's um, set on a Greek island. Um, which is right opposite, you know, Lefkada, which is where we've gone a few times in the last few years, which we've fallen in love with. And Lefkada's main town, Nidri, is the setting for a lot of the story, as is London, as, in, as is Athens. I mean as is Hollywood and Los Angeles. I mean, it's a beautiful international story, well, isn't it? Well, is. it is. And Callista, who's just a bit of an innocent, who has, at the time of meeting Billy Wilder, has no idea who he is or is Diamond, no idea of anything really because she's been living a relatively sheltered life in Athens. But, of course, because she speaks fluent Greek, she ends up working on the film set with them. There's nothing, you know, romantic or anything like that. It, 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 she becomes their friend, their young friend. But the conversations, and it's just a, it's a great story about the film industry. Um, it's a great story about, well, the Holocaust, dare I say, and yep. Billy Wilder's search for loved ones who have gone missing. It's just, um, I found it such a wonderful book. Great book club book, don't you reckon? Yes. And a, and a great story about family, which is where it begins and ends really, isn't it? With um, with the character Callista and her own family in London, you know, moving back to, to today or the present day. So we both loved Middle England, which of course Jonathan Coe also wrote. Um, you've read a few of his other novels at pre date Middle England with the same characters. I haven't. I really want to read more of him now, but great tip. Thank you. Oh, pleasure. And I'm so pleased you it prompted you to go and visit, revisit a few Billy Wilder. I must do the same. Maybe we should have a fedora film night. Oh, we should, because it, it's, it looks very creepy and and obviously he wanted Marlena Dietrich for the part. He ended up getting Marth Keller, who at the time was going out with Al Pacino. And they Al's just made the... Bobby, Bobby Deerfield together. Yes, and Al's in the novel, of course. So, look, it's fascinating. Now, Corrie, I want to talk about, for screen, Carey Mulligan, a brilliant English actress who I saw, we've seen in a few films over the past month. But well, I, I want to hear about The Promising Young Woman because you loved that. This is an unbelievable film, horrifying film, Miss Jane's Looking Up. Have you seen it, Miss Jane? No, you've got to go and see it. Um, look, it, it, it's, it's very um, 
glib to say it's sort of on the Me Too theme, but but it opens. It's a story of a very attractive young woman who basically goes to bars and clubs, pretends to be blind drunk, and is picked up by who seems to be the best bloke in the room, the nicest, most thoughtful bloke in the room, takes her home and generally ends up trying to have sex with her, take advantage of her. And you learn as the movie unfolds why this promising young woman, a brilliant medical student, left her studies and started working in a cafe, still living in her parents' very bizarre sort of house in her late 20s or 30, whatever age she is, and why she has embarked upon this crusade. This unfolds slowly but horrifyingly. It's an American film. When you say horrifyingly, is it violent? No, but the... No, and... and, and Psychological Just when you think, I can't bear another scene of this woman being exploited, it it sort of goes off piste and changes again. And so you never actually, there's no rape or violence. I'm not good with horror. No, there's not. No, no, it's not horrifying in that. No, it's just chilling. And she is brilliant. She's in almost every scene. She wears extraordinary clothes. The people who come into her life are so interesting and there's twists and turns. Any other famous actors in it we might know? Well, no. Well, a lot of well-known American actors. Um, it, she she plays an American brilliantly and we've seen her do it before. But the story was written and directed by the English woman Emerald Fennell, who played Camilla Parker Bowles in the last series of The Crown. She actually appears briefly in the film as well, actually. But um, how she thought up this story, I'm not sure of the original story, but I think she did write it. It is, it could almost be described as a black comedy. Anyway, I urge you to see it. So I will. Well, I'm a real fan of Carrie Mulligan. As you know, during the holidays, remember one day we were walking and I said, last night Coco and I watched Far From the Madding Crowd on yep. Netflix. So that was the 2015 version with Carrie Mulligan playing um, Bathsheba Everdeen, who is the famous Thomas Hardy heroine, played by Julie Christie all those years ago. Um, I was looking at that Julie Christie movie, Caro. I I can remember seeing it because I can remember Terence Stamp in the officer's uniform. But I had forgotten um, not only Terence Stamp, Peter Finch, he plays Mr. Boldwood, and Alan Bates as the Alan farmer, Bates. as the shepherd. Yep. Amazing cast. Oh, look, it's such a it's so sad. But well, what I saw her in on Netflix, which has just come out on Netflix, is The Dig. This is Kerry Mulligan. And this is very recent. And this is a great small English film so much better than some of the English films that are on in the cinema at the moment that haven't been Oh, is this so the archae- archaeological yeah. one? It's a true story or it's a reimagination of a true story. She plays a wealthy widow living in Suffolk and um, the famous, well, he, he has now been acknowledged finally, thanks to her, um, historically, Basil Brown, who's played by Rafe Fiennes and he's an excavator who he brings in to explore these mounds on her property in Suffolk. Um, It's on the brink of World War II. This is when it's set. Um, There's a a sort of soap operatic, a couple of great soap operatic stories going on in the background as well. Where do we find this? Um, Netflix. Netflix. It's on... The same as... um Far from the Madding crowd. Yeah, so, but it, it's sort of being highlighted at the moment because it was only released, I think, last week. It is, Corrie, the most beautiful story. Um, what was discovered, and this is well known, is the Sutton Treasure, which is now 
which is when they realise that not only Romans but Anglo-Saxons had this rich heritage in the UK and in this particular part of England. And um, Lily James is in it um, as one of the excavators. It's a great cast. It's a beautiful story. Um, He is absolutely brilliant in it, Kerry Mulligan. Rafe finds very different character for him. He's great. And um, I want to now go back to the British Museum and have a look at this Sutton treasure because the way it happened, oh, it's just a beautiful story. So, Hey, Potties, I tell you what, we're on fire. Caro and I have watched an awful lot over the summer and over the next few weeks we're going to share some of these gems with well, you. Well, it, it wasn't great weather this summer, but we didn't we didn't care wasn't. because it was it was just wonderful to have a have a summer. But um, I dragged you on possibly the nicest day of the year to go and see um, the drive because I was so desperate to see it, and the forecast was not good that day. But um, we, I think we might talk about the drive. We need next to talk week. about that next because I'm quite I'm sure a few uh, a few of our gang of already seen it and we'd love to hear any of your feedback. Now you've uh, you've cooked for me a lot this year, Corrie, this summer already and we're only just in February but we're going to each um, tell everyone what our favourite recipe was. So you you kick off. Um, okay, so uh, I look before, I, I know I've been raving about this book kind of ad nauseum, Caro. It's called um, uh, Just Always Add Lemon, sorry, Always Add Lemon by Danielle Alvarez who is a Sydney cook and, um, oh, gee, I tell you what, over summer, I don't know how many recipes I've cooked or gone back to and, and cooked. Not that there was a whole lot of entertaining. I did find this summer, I don't know whether you found this, but I found this summer was very family-oriented. I think because so many families have been disconnected during 2020, every second person you ran into either had the family visiting from Sydney or they were going up to see the country cousins or if they had a beach house, they were having the grown-up kids and the babies down or Well, whatever. we saw a lot more of family than we expected because their travel plans to New <laughs> South right. Wales or Queensland Everybody's kept collapsing. were That's interrupted. Right. But the, the, the recipe that we'll put up on the show notes, uh, my um, contribution to this segment is whole grilled beef tenderloin with caramelised onions, treviso and gorgonzola dolce which I actually made for you on, I think, the one night we probably had dinner together. You you and Brendan came over. That was when we had the Outer Sanctum gang, remember? It was beautiful, um, this recipe. And it's just, it really, all it is is that you just cook up cook up the beef. Um, you can either barbecue it or put it in a slow, slow in the oven, and I fill it, I used, but um, Danielle says a whole beef tenderloin, trimmed and tied. And then you make up this gorgonzola sauce, which is cream, gorgonzola dolce, and one teaspoon of lemon juice. And then I think the other yummy thing about it is the cooked onions, which is just basically onions in olive oil with a touch of Worcestershire sauce and a tablespoon of red wine or sherry vinegar and 50 mils of red wine. So you cook up those onions and just on your plate, it's pretty simple to do. You just um, you just splay it all out. I didn't have in my area the treviso, so I used um, What's treviso? radicchio. Oh, it's a, it's a red cabbagey oh, kind you, of thing. Yeah, I just I just used I just used radicchio instead. Yep. So the leaves were very beautiful, and you just spread all of this out, and then the gorgonzola sauce goes over the top, and the onions as well. It doesn't sound pretty. It's very pretty. I thought oh, it was it, very pretty. I did add a bit of green. I think I put a bit of rocket just to add a bit of green It tastes in it. beautiful. It, it was, was so fantastic, well, wasn't the, it? The mixture, so the sweetness of the onion and the bitterness of the radicchio, it just worked. It was perfect. Yeah, so, the saltiness of so the gorgonzola. We, we will put a photo of that and um, and the recipe, as I said, and that's from Daniel Alvarez's Always Add Lemon. What about you? 
Well, I've um, missed Jane will put this one up too. This is from the Gourmet Traveller website, but Clem did this as part of our Seafood Christmas Day and I did it again a week or two later because it was so beautiful. Uh, seafood Christmas Day, just as a footnote, um, was a oh, great, yes. was a how, great how did success. Your mo- how, did, how did your mother cope? Well, she, she was not happy. She coped fine, but my brother, in a typical um, act of insurrection, had us all round for roast turkey the next night. <laughs> he was so determined, to, and it was very nice. I've got to say, very, very nice. But how did but how did Uncle cope with the seafood day? Did he bit, just complain the whole time? No, he, he loved it. He loved it, but he was a little bit. Um, he was a, there was a bit of stirring going on, but then we did have ham, which was absolutely delicious. But Clem did this, you know, ocean trout, the old side of ocean trout or salmon. We've done it with tahini. We've done it with tomato concaves. I've done these recipes since the podcast started, but this, I reckon, is the best I've ever had. A side of ocean trout, which you serve, you can either serve it on a bed of labna or put the labna on top, and that is so easy. You just get a chuck super wipe if you don't have... Um, muslin and you put the amount of yogurt in the chuck super wipe, sit it over a sieve, put it in the fridge overnight and the next morning you've got labna, you chuck out all the liquid. But the salad on top of it, Corrie, and you slow cook the ocean trout, it's about 1 to 1.2 kilos, you slow cook it in an oven about 130, takes 20 to 25 minutes and then you sit it down on the labna or labna on top. And on top, it's basically this cucumber and preserved lemon salad. It is so delicious. It involves cucumbers, baby and Lebanese, a fennel, half a fennel bulb, mixed herbs. Oh, uh, yum. Dill, and I, I love and Did you know fennel is very, very good for you? Oh, it, it is and it's beautiful. Um, roasted almonds, coarsely chopped, preserved lemon, olive oil, bit of honey, interestingly, lemon and sumac. It is beautiful. It's on um, the show notes. Thank you, Miss Jane. Absolutely delicious. Well, lots of recipes to come because we were cooking up a storm over summer. And thank you to Red Energy for looking after our BSF uh, segment. We love having you back. We love the fact that you're powered by the Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. And as everybody knows, last year I moved everything, including the shop electricity, over to Red Energy. So I am now a proud Red Energy girl. Call 131 806 for Real Aussie Energy. Melbourne-based team will help you out. Until and Caro and Corrie sent you and they'll give you... Um... They'll just love us even more and continue to support us. That's okay. why you've got to do it. I must say, I didn't really cook up a storm over summer. I cooked, but I didn't I didn't spend a lot of time in the kitchen. I think you did, though, Caro, you and Clem, in that because your Sydney family came the week before Christmas. When I when I saw you after Christmas, I thought you looked um, happy but a bit tired and I think you'd done a lot of entertaining, more than you realise. Yes, but I wouldn't say I whipped up, you know, gourmand sort of recipe. Anyway, I... Look, well, okay, speak for yourself. It was a fantastic Now, you're summer. grumpy, so what are you grumpy about? Well, Corrie... <laughs> I'm grumpy about this at this time of every year, and I'm going to be <laughs> going back to work. Went to, no, I went to the supermarket yesterday. Oh, hot cross buns, Easter eggs. Oh, bloody hell! I'm sorry. <laughs> when I, so, I, Carol, I can beat you. Um, oh. You know, right back at you. I think it was the 17th of January. I, I, if I looked on my text, I think I texted a friend to say I'm in the supermarket right now. It is the whatever it was of January. There are hot cross buns here. 
not unbelievable. Happy, not happy. Sorry, I stole your grumpy. Keep going. No, no. Anyway, no, very quick. That's it. Why don't people learn? We have to make things special and they are special because we celebrate them at the time they're meant to be celebrated. Six quick questions. Call 131806 for Real Aussie Energy. That's Red Energy. Corrie, the best podcast you discovered over summer. Well, I've discovered this before, but I had time over summer to listen to Table Manners, Caro. This is with Jessie Ware, who is the English singer-songwriter, and she does this with her mother, Lenny, and they just they have somebody over, somebody famous over for a meal. So during COVID, that's been a bit difficult and lockdowns in London, but they've still managed to do it. Um, but in, in between their lockdowns, they recorded a whole lot of episodes, including a wonderful session with Dawn French. But they've also done um, Dolly Parton and Robbie Williams, Nigella, Yota Modalengi. You can just go through their backlist. They have 3.5 million listeners. Caro, how many do we have for Don't Shoot the Messenger? About that amount. And just as good. Jane... <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> okay, that's a good All tip. Right, Name okay. of podcast again? Yeah, it's called Table Manners. Now, Caro, should the Australia Day date be changed? I think it should. I think it should. I've come around to that way of thinking. If a date causes so much pain and suffering for so many people, it's not such a big deal anyway. I'm not a massive Australia Day fan. January 26, I usually find an excuse for a bit of a booze up and not much more. It's no longer can be said it's a day of national pride. We definitely need to change the date. Corrie, what are you most dreading in 2021? Colonoscopy. Oh, really? (laughs) It's that year. It's come around. What, have you never had one before? Oh no, I have to because my father had bowel cancer. So I stressing that did that was not why he died, but he had bowel cancer. So my brother and I have to go pretty regularly. But it's that year, as the doctor said, when I nabbed like the first cab off the rank at the end of October when you were allowed to go to the surgery. The only good thing, Caro, the only exciting thing about a colonoscopy is one, the anaesthetic, good night's sleep, or good ten and two, the sleep. weight loss. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> No, well, don't have the, to no, fast. the sandwich points oh, at that the they end. give you afterwards when you're all snugged up. <laughs> you just I've have never had one, eat. I don't know. Oh, Carol, you've got to go and have a colonoscopy at your age. Oh, my right. God. Okay. Um, okay, should, should the Australian Open have gone ahead? I've come around to this too. I, yes, I think it should. Oh, really? You weren't I, saying that a couple of weeks well, ago. Well, look, I could understand the angst. I certainly understood the government's point of view that there is real danger that that Victoria, Melbourne could lose the Australian Open if they didn't go ahead. So I think for that reason, it needed to go ahead. It has been a triumph of what they've managed to achieve. The tennis players have behaved themselves because this is probably their last opportunity for some time to make some money. You know, Indian Wells has been cancelled. A lot of the big tournaments in the first half of the year might not go ahead. London looks like a disaster again. They, a couple of them made negative comments at the beginning. Oh, they, they were idiots. But, you know, it's been a, so far, touch wood, touch wood, um, no positive cases so far since the quarantine went ahead and they're out now. They're all playing a million games to, to get up to speed. There is an unfairness. Some people have been disadvantaged. I get that. But I think like the footy season, there are so many reasons why it's good to have these events around it. So I'm supportive of it. And um, there was no insurance. Wimbledon had insurance and Wimbledon is never in danger of being lost. But so many places in Asia would jump in and steal this date. Mm. So, yes. Idea for entrepreneurial personal trainers, come up with a training program that athletes can perform for two weeks in a hotel room, particularly thinking of things like Olympics and so on. There's going to be a fair bit of that happening this year, I reckon. Oh, absolutely. And and I don't mind them 
jumping the queue for the vaccination as long as, you know, the, the real vulnerable people are able to get it first. I don't have a problem with athletes getting special treatment. I mean, the, the two football codes in Australia had special treatment last year and we got seasons away and a lot of people were employed and a lot of people were made very happy. Now, Corrie, did you make a New Year's resolution? I did, Caro. Um, to be a better friend, world peace, stop drinking. No, none of those. Um, g- given that the diary had virtually no workout last year, I've decided I'm going to write in my diary the week before every fitness session or healthy session in my diary so I commit to it. I've decided that I am a diary person. I really missed I was yes. discombobulated last year not having one and not having anything in the diary. Yes. And as you know, I've been doing a little bit of yoga over the summer. To actually write it in the diary, there's something the intent is more significant. <laughs> so so I've written walk, you know, between seven and eight AM. I've done I'm I'm going through the week before working up my exercise regime. This is a girl who bags my daggy diary when I, which I've been filling in year in year out. No, no, I think that's a very good resolution. I bag your calendar, your funny little calendar. Yeah, well, that works for me. Um, I, I'll I'll be absolutely brutal, brutally honest. I didn't make. Oh, you're going to ask me if I made one now? Yes. Yes, Sorry, that's my question to you. (laughs) You could ask yourself if you want to. Why don't you? Interview myself. <laughs> um, look, I, I made a short-term resolution. I was not going to set foot in the CBD or anywhere in Melbourne. I was going to stay at the beach for all of January, and I did do that. In fact, I'm sitting here with you today for the first time on terra firma back in the city. So well, I you have to have a new one now. You've ticked the box on no, that one. No, well, you, I've got to thank you for forcing me to, well, saying I should come to that yoga class with you because I've done yoga on and off for many years, but I'm determined to make it regular. Since I went with you last week, I've been four times. I've absolutely loved it. So thank you. I am going to be a yogi in 2021 and hopefully my aches and pains will not sort of attack me in 10 years' time oh. and I'll be fully flexible. Namaste, Dal. Um, <laughs> hey, what's your favourite position? Um, I, I just love um, it, when you um, put your legs out. Happy baby. And, and reach, hold your toes. And reach over and hold oh. your toes because I can do that and I see people who can't. <laughs> it's one of the few things I can. And do I love know? the fact that I'm able to balance again. I can't. The thing I I always just I just go. You've got to be bloody kidding when they when you've got your hands on the ground and the, and your feet behind like a downward dog or something. And they say, you know, jump your step your right foot up to between your hands. Oh, that, that's when Are you're you doing serious? the pl- that's when you're doing the plank. And I, I know, I know, and I notice that even even our wonderful teacher Maggie has to doesn't do it quite oh, as well. Oh, hop, as- hop, hop goes Corey anyway. Now, Corrie, this has been a lovely, lovely opportunity to catch up with you behind the microphone. It's great to see Miss Jane again. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks to our podcast supporters, Red Energy, Click for Vic. Tell us about your favourite summer drink. Cocktail Cabinet Advisor Tony Noel will be with us next week. Mine involves sherry, and I see that Equipo equipo Novasos Sherry is on special or is a big primo at the moment. I'm have to print something about your languages. Sherry and, and your tonic. Accents. Sherry and tonic. Yeah. I'll leave you with that coffee. Your mother told me about sherry and tonic. She said she's using up all the old sherry in the She bought her around the other night and we we got into the sherry and tonic. Corrie, we'll be back next week with plenty more to talk Yay. about. But what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly made possible by Red Energy. They're powered by Snowy Hydro and a leader in renewable energy. Call their Melbourne-based team today on 131 806 for real Aussie energy.